0: Welcome to The Daily Bolster. Each day, we welcome transformational executives to share their real-world experiences and practical advice about scaling yourself, your team, and your business. Welcome to The Daily Bolster. I'm Matt Blumberg, the co-founder and CEO of Bolster, and I'm here today to go in-depth with Catherine Minshew, the founder and CEO of The Muse. Um, Welcome to The Daily Bolster.
1: Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so you have such an interesting story. Um, you founded a company super innovative in the jobs HR tech space, um, grew it, took it through a transition to private equity ownership, um, <clears throat> recently completed an acquisition of Fairy Godboss, another company in the space uh, that I also knew over the years and uh, you are know, working to change the, the world of recruiting and in particular recruiting uh, and, uh, and job, uh, job placement for women. Uh, so I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your journey today.
1: Yeah, I was to say, ask away. I'm an open book.
0: Let's start at the beginning. What gave you the idea for The Muse?
1: Uh, it, it really came out of my own experience and wanting something that didn't exist. Uh, my So my own career journey, I'll give you the, the very short Cliff Notes version. Um, I moved to the Washington, D.C. area when I was about 12, and I decided shortly thereafter, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I will be either a CIA agent slash international woman of mystery or like a State Department official and I think in retrospect you know it was partially loving the cosmopolitan and international nature of DC Um, there was a television show Alias starring Jennifer Garner one of JJ Abrams first shows was really big on TV and I just loved the character of Sydney Bristow who was a, a double agent and I liked history I liked international relations And so, you know, with the sort of uncomplicated worldview of a teenager, I was like, great, I got it all figured out. And I went through my entire educational career thinking I knew what I wanted. I majored in political science. I learned French and Turkish. Um, I interned at a variety of different international organizations. And luckily in 2007, um, I had the chance to work at a U.S. embassy in Nicosia, Cyprus uh, with a secret level security clearance. And I realized Oh my god this job is nothing like I thought it would be and as much as I have so much respect for everyone that I worked with and for people that work in both the foreign service and and the intelligence uh, community I realized that was actually not at all the right job for me and you know so I was like in my early 20s full of quarter life crisis angst I ended up getting recruited by McKinsey and Company and moving to New York to be a management consultant and candidly like I didn't really love that either. And I started thinking like, can I love my job? How would I know if I liked a job or a company or a career path before I started? Uh, i catching,
0: catching the thread here. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now, now you can start to see why it led me to the muse. But McKinsey was also really interesting because as a consultant, you drop into different companies every couple of months. And I started to realize that all of these companies that might look the same on the outside, three of the biggest five banks in the country, for example, they actually look really different on the inside. Their culture is different. The way they communicate is different. And so when I was looking to leave consulting and move in a different direction a couple of years later, I was really struggling with how do I understand what these options actually look like on the inside? And you know, on one hand, I had a bunch of hedge funds and banks and things recruiting me. I was also using Indeed and Monster.com and LinkedIn. And the online job search experience was so bad that I remember thinking like, I cannot believe that someone has not improved this. And specifically, I can't believe that there is not, there aren't more tools for job seekers to understand what is the culture, work environment, communication style of a company? What benefits do they offer? What will my life be like if I join? And so I ended up founding the Muse because I wanted it to exist and it didn't. And, um, I started to realize that other people wanted it to exist too. And today the Muse serves, uh, Roughly six to eight million people every single month, um, over 70 million people a year. And we serve, you know, all genders, but we do have a majority female audience. When I first started the Muse, we were exclusively talking to women. Um, but then we had so many men coming in and saying, Hey, I I love what you're building. And this actually would help me too. And it doesn't exist for anyone. Um, and so it was that recognition of a broader uh, problem, but a, but a but a broader opportunity to really change the way people look for work and for companies, and this is the last thing I'll say and then I'll stop my monologue, but you know I think it's so interesting as a society, we used to treat companies and jobs as these indistinguishable things. Oh, you know, you want a sales job, you want an engineering job? here's 5,000. Um, but you know and and by the way, media organizations love to publish the 50 best places to work. Um, I think that this is as silly as publishing the 50 best people to marry in Boston or in New York or wherever because who you should work for is much more dependent on who you are as a person. What do you value? What sort of environment, you know, motivates you? What sort of things drag you down? It's exactly the same as most human relationships. Some people are looking for, you know, a kind of high velocity lifestyle. Other people want security, stability, what pace, what com- you know, I could go on. But I am just fascinated by how we create better matches. And I think it serves companies because instead of having someone showing up, clocking in and out, trying to just do a job, you have someone who actually thrives in your environment. Um, research has shown that enthusiasm correlates with like 15 points higher IQ. So it's not just about you know getting a workforce, it's getting the right force, getting the right people who show up and, and really care about what your company is doing.
0: That is, um, that is so true. And, um, yeah, it's certainly been my experience over the years. I think, um, you know, obviously I've never worked, um, at your company and you haven't worked at mine. I I think they're, they uh, probably have a lot in common in terms of the way they treat people. Um, but I think regardless of how you treat people, um, you know, it, it is true. Every company is different and every human is different. And, and, uh, and figuring out how to most effectively make those matches is really important. Um, and I think something that, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for people to say, oh, you know, I don't like interviewing for fit because, you know, that creates groupthink or, you know, that means I'm just going to hire people who are just like me. And I actually think that's not true. I think, you know, values and fit are incredibly important, um, but they're not just about what people look like. Um, they're about the kind of place, the kind of environment, as you said, where people will thrive.
1: Yeah. And honestly, you can take most good things too far. I think that you know i love the point you're making because i think that there is a difference between we hire based on fit so everyone should look and feel the same or everyone should be like super cool to hang out with you know at a bar like that's that's not fit but if you have a company that is really fast-paced don't ask stupid questions go 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 hard charging people should know that and they should proactively opt into it and and you know what it's interesting sometimes you have these articles about companies with hyper aggressive company cultures that are published in the media and sometimes applications go up because there's a certain type of person who's like yeah i want that awesome great fantastic what i think is important is giving people enough information to make an informed choice and by the way it benefits the business because if you hire someone who shows up at your company and hates working there, they will not be a great employee for you, and they will not be a long-tenured employee for you. And this is what I also think sometimes gets lost. Uh, It's not just about the cheapest hire, the fastest hire, getting a butt in the seat. It's about getting somebody in the role who is going to be successful and ideally tenured, and that requires finding some level of the right fit.
0: Yeah, that's right. I actually think we're about to see a a, a process of self-selection again around um, the work environment in the post-pandemic era. Right, the companies that are forcing you back in five days a week versus the ones that blew up their offices and are all remote versus the ones that are somewhere in the middle, there are people who are wired for, for those three different environments. And I, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit of a shuffle around that.
1: Absolutely. I, I could not agree more.
0: All right. So you founded the Muse in what year?
1: 2011.
0: In, in 11. Okay.
1: The summer will uh, be 12 years.
0: Okay. So, so 2011 you're growing the business, Um, you get to a point in 2020 or 2021, I guess, during the pandemic, where um, you decide that you want to take it in a different direction. Um, Talk a little bit about, you know, sort of that process and how you landed on the path you landed on.
1: Yeah. So it was late 2021, early 2022, when I started thinking about this idea of a broader roll-up strategy. And it came from a few places. You know, the muse had grown at that point to serve Uh, you know, kind of five to 8 million people a month. We had this great kind of roster of clients, uh, 20% of the fortune 500. But when I was talking to those clients, what I kept hearing is, Catherine, we love the muse and we would spend more with you if you had an even bigger customer base, job seeker base. But I was looking at the brand that The Muse stood for and the community that we had, and we do really, really well among certain segments of the population and certain psychographics. You know, The Muse is a brand for, I think, people that are like very ambitious and kind of digitally connected, and and I love that. So we had these internal conversations, you know, would we want to kind of expand the tent and perhaps have to change what The Muse stood for, but to bring even more people in, or should we think about a model where we either build or acquire or partner with other communities that speak to other audiences but ultimately you know are, are sort of connected with the same employers. I think you have this really interesting dynamic in the job search and recruiting space where the employers are pretty consistent a lot of them are looking to hire, you know, a wide wide variety of people but candidates are starting to gravitate towards groups and communities that speak to their specific needs. Some of those are around diversity or demographics. Some of them are attributes. Um, Some of them are functions, you know, people who are marketers coming together. And so the idea started to take shape. Um, And this was also partially, I think, even more supported when the stock market started to crash in 2022. And we started to realize that there was going to need to be a lot of consolidation. And I thought, what if we could create? a group or a constellation of brands that had a single point of sale into the employer. We could simplify the process for an employer of recruiting great diverse entry and mid-level talent, but we could give them access not just to the Muse community, but potentially to other communities as well. And so I started talking to other founders. There I think is a lot of opportunity. I still am a, a huge believer in this thesis, and so we identified the first, um, initially, actually, the first two deals that we wanted to do. And I went out into the market and started talking with private equity and some venture capital firms about backing this. And it was really interesting. I mean,
0: look, it's a really natural story, right? Like, you can have multiple front ends and communities, but one back end, one sales force, one billing system, um, and, you know, sort of take what what you had done and expand it exponentially.
1: Yes, exactly. And when I when I started talking to some of our customers about the idea, a lot of them were like, "Oh my goodness, Catherine! Like, please do this." One of our our longtime customers, he has bought the Muse, uh, for eight years at I think three different employers, um, and he was like, "Do you know? Right now, I have thirty seven different contracts with thirty seven different tools, and you know, he's like, some of those are really, really kind of long term mainstays with us, like the Muse." But he said others suffer from this flavor of the month, whereas my corporate priorities change, I'm pulling budget, pushing budget. And if I could, again, do that with fewer relationships, but also more, um, I, I think it would add some stability to some of these smaller players. And um, it was really exciting to me. So we went out, spoke to a lot of folks. Um, you know, I think summer of 2022, not the ideal time to fundraise. But great time to run a a role of play if you could have it. So I had incredible opportunities on the buy side and just was looking for the right capital partner. Um, You know, it's a kind of process like you'd expect. There were a lot of people who said, we love you, Catherine, we love the idea, but go out and, you know, buy the first company or two, integrate it, then come back to us. And I'm like, well... If I had the cash to do that, I wouldn't be in your office right now. Um, But ultimately, we ended up uh, getting the process to a point where we had a couple different offers on the table. Um, The private equity partner that we chose was really excited about the roll-up plan as well. And we signed a term sheet with them and then started the process of our first acquisition, um, you know, basically a couple of days later uh, and completed it a few weeks after kind of our main investment uh, closed. So,
0: So those kind of moved in parallel.
1: Yes, it Uh absolutely did. And by the way, a lot of people told me that I was crazy. They were like, you can't do both of these at the same time. And you know what? Um, In a perfect world in which I got to choose every variable, would I do them sequentially? Yeah, probably. But that's not the world we live in. And the world we live in was this deal is going to go away if I don't have the ability to move on it soon. And frankly, I think for a lot of the investment backers we were talking to, I don't know that they would have been as excited if I was like, I'm gonna do a roll up, theoretically. No, I was like, I'm gonna do a roll up and these are the companies that I'm going to acquire in this order. And this is what the businesses look like when you put them together. And so that level of depth and clarity was very helpful. It took a lot of intensity and work <laughs> to pull it off. Um, but I, uh, you know, we closed and announced the Fairy God Boss acquisition in October of 2022. Um, and it's been really exciting to, to kind of bring the two brands together. Again, we sell to um, very, very similar employers. We had, I think, about 45 customers in common, and then several hundred customers on each side of the house. Um, and then from the team perspective, we've been able to learn a lot. Some places, you know, they made certain choices that were different. And in, in some cases, theirs were better. In some cases, the process kind of going going through.
0: Interesting. So, um, so your first one is done. It's six months. You're six months in. Um, what are some things that you've learned about doing a roll up? Like, what what's the process been like um, around consolidation?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there are a number of different constituencies that you have to really think about communication with. Um, and I think that you know there's the broader market. You might do a press release or you know a, I think we had an um, article in TechCrunch um, and, and maybe something in follow- up on Fortune. But you also have, you know, you have the employees of the company you've acquired. You have your own employees who are wondering, what does this mean for me? You have um, customers on both sides. So we held a customer town hall where I walked through um, why we did the acquisition, what they should expect, you know, some questions people might have. We also let people ask questions. We did a lot of time investment in the teams, uh, both teams themselves because both teams, um, you know anytime there's a lot of change, people are really wondering, how does this impact me? What does this mean? And as a leader, you don't necessarily have all of the answers up front. But I think giving people the information you do have, helping them see the context um, and why you made the decision you did and giving people a chance to ask and air questions, both in their name and anonymously, that was very, very helpful. Um, We made sure that each individual team took a lot of time to get to know each other and to not only um, bond as a team, but also, like I said, I think one of the most exciting things about a successful acquisition is that both teams now have New ideas, new resources, new expertise, and so we really tried hard to say, hey, um, we're not going to say that you know one way or the other way is better until we really look at both. Some ways, you know, we're we're going to say, oh, let's move all the systems over to this way of doing things, or you know, other times we might go the other way, but we really tried to go team by team and help people see each other as colleagues, help them understand how this was an opportunity to tackle you know, a problem that I think every single person at the Muse and very God boss is here because they care about the mission. Right. And while the two missions are not identical, they're very, very aligned. Those two are
0: pretty similar for sure.
1: Exactly. Very similar. And there's a lot of things culturally that were very similar. So, you know, no, no acquisition is without bumps. There are things I look back and I'm like, oh, we should have caught that. We should have invested more time here. But by and large, I think we tried to be uh, both just extremely responsive, create a lot of channels for people to give feedback um, and then, and then, you know, communicate, communicate, and sometimes over-communicate yeah. and, um, and that was helpful. And, and so, yeah, it was, a really just fascinating, rewarding experience. Um, and, uh, we've been, you know, thinking about what's next.
0: Well, so that's the interesting question. So the, what you just described makes all the sense in the world for the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've consolidated the first one and now if you wind the clock forward, you know, six months, 12 months, 24 months, you go to do the next one and the next one and the next one. How do you think, what do you, how do you think that's going to look in, different? Um, and, you know, how's your role as a CEO going to change and scale with that type of a play?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think there's, firstly, there's a lot of different approaches you might take based on the size differential between the company doing the acquiring and the company being acquired. For the case of the Muse and Fairy Godboss, we were bigger, but not like dramatically so. I think we were maybe 50% bigger from a headcount perspective. So there were a lot of things that um, we could manage sort of like two similarly sized businesses coming together. Um, we've also looked at companies that are you know, five people and they have an incredible product, but it's very nascent. Something like that would be integrated very, very differently right. than a company of you know, 30 people. But I do think that there, I think if you can approach an acquisition with an open mind to say, you have things to teach us and you have things you are better at, just like we have things that we're better at, and that sort of respect, and um, I think if you go into an acquisition with the perspective that we're better at everything, you know, or, or something like that, like you just doom it because um we have learned so, so much from the expertise, the teams, the process, the strategy of the company that we acquired. And um, and I think that that approaching future acquisitions like that you're most likely, first of all, to to actually learn. Um, You've gotta be open to learning. Otherwise it's very hard for anything to sort of penetrate the thick wall of, I already know this, Um, but also the the respect that you give people by listening and, and again, truly being open to them teaching you something I think is also a very important part of building a company culture where people can say what they believe and they can raise questions and problems and ideas um, and that's that's ultimately what we're trying to do,
0: yeah, all right. So I'm going to come back and talk to you after your tenth acquisition, and we'll see if it's <laughs> all working the same way.
1: I mean, frankly, I'm sure I will learn things on every single one. I think that, uh, you know the the um the process will certainly change. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. i'm I'm excited. and I think that um there's a there's a lot of opportunity still in um in the space, and, you know, just, I think because the career space is one that so many people have personal experience with, whether it's looking for a job and feeling how frustrating that is joining a company. It's not right. It's not what you thought or trying to hire and recognizing the challenges that exist. Um, I think there's a lot of really passionate people in this space, a lot of great ideas. And, uh, you know, I think with the, the markets, the way they are with funding, um, being at all time or at least last several year lows, I do think we'll continue to see a lot of consolidation. Um, but uh, my hope is that, you know, that will allow the best ideas and the best products to have broader reach and, um, and you know, and, and not um, not result in all of the brilliance and the creativity and the innovation of the last few years uh, just just dying on the vine.
0: Yeah. All right. Last question. So you've been a CEO for 12 years now. A couple different chapters of that along the way. If you could go back to younger you, maybe not the the day you founded the Muse, but sort of a year in, two years in, when you were still like trying to figure out product market fit or you had product market fit and now you were trying to figure out how to scale. What is the one piece of advice you would give younger you? Mm.
1: You know, I wish that I had had Access to more operational expertise in the mechanics Mm. of growing and running a business. And what I mean by that is, um, I look back at, you know, early, early, early stage Catherine, the CEO, and I actually think that my instincts about our market were pretty right. My instincts about our customer were pretty right my instincts about our product were pretty right but my instincts and knowledge about how to build a company around those things that could scale and that could operationalize them especially once we really kicked into gear a couple years in and raised our series a that was that was something that was completely new to me and it's very different and i think sometimes founders fall into the trap of saying you know, I identified a need where where a lot of people didn't see it. I've built a company, you know, out of nothing. I've created something new in the market. So as I'm building my company, I'll just reinvent the wheel on all these processes, or I'll just figure out how to, you know. And I think that if I could go back to my younger self, um, I would, I mean, frankly, I would love if me now could go back and help me, you know, seven years ago, oh my God, the company, needed, <laughs> the mistake. You, needed, you know, so what?
0: You needed bolster.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I, I mean, and I told you this when I when I first heard about bolster. I was like, God, I wish I had had this in the early days because you know, even when we hired our first executives, there were times where we had you know eight months to hire somebody, and there was just no one in the seat. Um, it made letting people go harder because. I was afraid of what would happen to the business if we had a hole in a key function that no one else could fill for four months, six months, seven months. Um, and so, yeah, I do really wish that I had, had bolster and uh, and it's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of what you all are doing.
0: All right, on that note, uh, Catherine Minshew from Muse, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us today and uh, look forward to hearing how things progress for you.
1: Amazing, thank you so much for having me.